Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. One of the things I love about getting to preach is I actually get to hang out at the front of the room. I'm normally towards the back, and so I actually get to hear you guys. And man, you sounded beautiful this morning. Some of you sounded beautiful this morning. Um, anybody here a parent? Any parents in the room? Parents? And I am not like officially a parent yet. I got a couple of weeks to go before I'm officially there. Um, but I've just been trying to mentally get prepared for what that's going to look like. I know some of you just laughed because you're like, you're not prepared. You can't get there. I don't know. You guys keep telling me that. I, I dread it might be the absolute worst because of what you tell No. No, uh, as I've been thinking about it, I've just been thinking through kids, like maybe sitting, kids ministry, student ministry, whatever, and just kind of, I keep coming back to this word, this question they ask all the time. Anybody know the question they ask constantly? Ooh, why? That's right. Why? I mean, like, you're literally in the car, and you turn the blinker on, and they go, why'd you turn that blinker on? And like, well, to let people know, I'm going to get in the other lane. And they're like, why do you need to let them know? Well, so they don't run into us. Why would they run into us? Well, because they didn't know we were coming over. And I'm like, but why? I'm not frustrated. I don't get frustrated just thinking about those questions. Not at all. Not at all. We are continuing our house rules series this week. Uh, We've been talking through our house rules as a spiritual house. And I know when you hear the word rules, you're like, oh, the things I can't do. Like, here's the list of the things I can't do. But really, rules, there's a lot of freedom in rules because there's identity in rules. Like, did you remember going to a friend's house back when you were a little younger or maybe are young? Like, you went over to a friend's house and you tried to walk into their living room with the shoes on and a friend, like, grabbed you by the neck and, like, jerked you back. and was like, no, you do not wear your shoes in the living room. Dad will kill us both. Well, you didn't know that because you weren't a part of the family. You didn't know the house rules because you weren't a part of the family. And so knowing the rules helps identify you with the family. And so back in week one, we talked about our house rules and we said the who of who we are. We said the who of who we are is Jesus. And we talked about how Jesus lays out that he is the foundation of the church. He's the foundation that all of the church is built on. But we ultimately came to the conclusion that when we say church, like, we're not talking about 417 North Beardeman. We're talking about the people in the chairs. We're talking about the people on the other side of that screen right now. We're talking about the people who follow Jesus. You're the church. These are just walls. And you're built up on Jesus's sure foundation. Week two, we talked about the what, like what do we do and what does gathering together do when we gather as the church or whatever. So what's that look like? And and we kind of talked through several different things, but one of the key things we said was when we gather as a church, there's so much power and potential there. So much power and potential for us to get re-energized and and to grow together in order to step outside of the walls that we meet in. And this week, we're going to answer the question of why. We're going to talk about why we are who we are. And when we do that, we're actually going to take and we're going to lean into a piece of scripture that you're probably familiar with. 
Like if you've spent hardly any time around church in your life, you've probably heard this scripture before. And so here's here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what it is, and you're going to go, I kind of know where, like, I got an idea where he's going. And you're going to start to mentally check out. Don't. Because see, here's the thing. I'm ultimately not responsible for what you learn. You are. And so today, I want you to lean in to something that maybe you feel like you kind of already know, because I promise in there, there are nuggets of truth that point us closer and closer to Jesus. So today, we're going to hang out in Matthew chapter 28, and what you probably know as the Great Commission. Now, you've heard it before, more than likely, but we're going we're to focus in on three things from it. We're going to talk about a reminder that Jesus gave his disciples. We're going to talk about a command he gave to his disciples. And we're talking about a promise that he gave to his disciples. A reminder, a command, and a promise. So we're going to be on Matthew 28. If you don't have scripture with you, don't worry. It will be on the screens as well, so you can kind of follow along. So Matthew 28, we're going to pick up in verse 16. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came near to them, and he said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is that reminder for his disciples. He leans in and he goes, guys, I want you to remember something. Everything is under authority to me. But like, I want you to take yourself out of the Bible belt. Because I said that and you were like, yeah, everything's under authority to Jesus. Totally makes sense. Got it. Cool. Next point. Thanks. You know, like, who says things like that? Like, be real, if you're walking down the street, or even somebody you know, they just turn and look at you and go, hey, heaven and earth, I'm in charge of it. Like, maybe as a parent, you have tried to say that to your kids. No, like, no one says that, guys. That's craziness. Like, if somebody looks at you and goes, the universe listens to my voice. The stars, they listen to me. Like, this planet spins because I made it spin. You look at them and you go, okay, yeah, sure. Try to get them out towards Greenfield a little bit, you know? <laughs> Sounds like a crazy person. But Jesus has the right to say this. He has the right to say this when he says it. It's not a crazy moment. It is truth. It was truth then and it's still truth now. And so I want to show you like why Jesus is able to say this. It comes out of Philippians chapter 2 and it says this. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is able to make this statement that everything is under his authority because of the way he lived, because of the obedience of his life. Like, I want you to imagine, just think about the universe. Have you ever looked through a telescope and just kind of looked out at all the stars that look like streetlights in your little telescope? Like, it's not great. But if you look at, like, a Hubble telescope, go look up some images from it. When it looks out into the galaxy and it stares at these different nebulae, 
when it stares at galaxies and, and these huge massive stars and black holes that we don't understand, I want you to stare at them for a minute. I want you to look at it and go, God is in charge of that. Jesus is literally in charge of that. He put it there and it does what he tells it to do. See, he's not just in charge of the things out there. He gets a little closer, like he's in charge of the sun that we revolve around. As a matter of fact, we revolve around it because he pushes us around it. And we don't just revolve around it. We spin while we're revolving around it. He's over that. The moon goes just right. He is over that. Jesus is over all the things out there, but he is also over the things here. On this planet, Jesus is in charge of like all the big, huge, massive things you can think of, like whales and elephants and massive red oaks that you can drive through. Like Jesus is in charge of those things, but he's also in charge of like little field mice and the cockroaches and the gnats that won't get out of your face. Jesus is in charge of those. He's not just in charge of the things you can see, though. See, he's in charge of all those synapses that fire inside your brain. He's in charge of the DNA of who you are. The chromosomes that make you who you are, he put them there. He is in charge of those. Jesus is in charge of the molecules and the atoms, and not just the atoms. I mean, you can't even see atoms, but they make up everything. But he's in charge of the thing inside of the atoms, the protons, the neutrons, the electrons. He makes them move the way they move. Jesus is in charge of that. He's in charge of our government. He's in charge of everybody else's government. He's in charge of the educational system and the entertainment industry. He's in charge of people who are massively violent and people who are completely passive. He is in charge of those who worship him, and he is in charge of those who don't. There is nothing in this world that Jesus does not have authority over. Not now, not back then, and not in the future. He is in charge of every single bit of it. Look at this from Ephesians 1. It says, He, God the Father, exercised His power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens. He put Jesus far above every ruler, every authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And He subjected everything under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him as head over everything in the church. Jesus is in charge of everything. The question is just whether or not we recognize him as such. Because more often than not, like, you don't like the idea of somebody being in charge, right? Not if it's not you. Like, have you ever just done something to spite your spouse just like they told you to do something and you know it was perfectly logical it made complete sense but like there's just something about the tone they said it in that you're like no I ain't gonna wash the dishes I don't care if we don't have any fork <laughs> well eat with spoons today you don't like somebody being in charge kids you do that to your parents sometimes they're like clean your room and you're like man I can't even walk in my room without stepping on Legos I probably do need to pick it up but they told me to I don't want to anymore I ain't cleaning my room, no. You take what it, oh wait, no, you took stuff? I'll clean my room. No, like you don't like people to be in charge of you. I don't like people to be in charge of me. But Jesus is the authority. He is in charge of every single thing on this planet. The question is just whether or not we recognize him and worship him for it. It doesn't change anything. He's in charge no matter if you do or don't. But man, leaning in recognizing Jesus for who he is. That is what we are designed for. And that is where we'll find our ultimate satisfaction is in him.
So Jesus looks at his disciples and he reminds them, hey guys, I'm in charge of everything. And he does that because he's going to make a command to them. And when he makes that command, he doesn't want them to hear it as a suggestion. And just to be clear, it's not just a command to his disciples. It's a command to the church forever. And he says, listen to it as if I'm a general telling an army what to do. You do exactly what that general says. That is the kind of statement Jesus is making here. That's the command he makes. And he turns, he looks at them, and he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and commanding them to observe all that I've taught you. Excuse me, it's to teach them all that I've taught you. Jesus looks at them and he goes, Make disciples. That is your goal. That is what you do. And he doesn't say, I hope you guys will go make some disciples. This church is really going to fall apart if it's just the 11 of you guys. Like, I hope y'all do No, it's a statement of do it. Just go. Go do it. I need you to make a disciple. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. It's someone who looked at Jesus, looked at themselves and said, you know what? I can feel my sin. I feel my brokenness. I've tried to fix it before. I've tried to fix it with a lot of things, and I've never been able to do it. But Jesus tells me he can, tr- he can fix it, and so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to take it. I'm going to look at Jesus, and I'm going to go, I'm going to surrender to you, which means I am willing to put your desires above the things I want to do. That's what a follower of Jesus does. They say, Jesus, I want to do this thing, but you said do that one, so I'm going to go do that one instead. And one of those desires of Jesus that we put above our own desires is to make disciples. And so Jesus even took and broke it down and said, here's some kind of steps you can think through when you make a disciple. And so the first thing he says is, I want you to go. I want you to go and make a disciple. Now, when you hear the words, go make a disciple, like a lot of times people hear this passage and they're like, that's the missionaries. Like they go to the other side of the world and they live in the huts and, you know, they make disciples over there. And that's what they do. Well, Jesus wasn't talking to just a few disciples. He wasn't just talking to a couple people from the church. He was talking to all of us. He said, I want you to go. And that doesn't mean you have to go real far. See, a lot of times we get this mentality That church is like this thing I go do. I go to church on Sunday mornings. We go do church, you know, over in that shopping center. We get this mentality that, like, I'm going to go. There's going to be some songs. I might throw a hand up if I'm really feeling it. And, like, then this guy's going to teach me something. He'll say a prayer. And, like, I'm going to go back to, like, my normal part of the week. We get this sit and soak it in mentality But that's not what church is. That's not who Jesus calls the church to be. He has this very go and give. It's a very active mentality that, honestly, if we as the church, we get truth in here together, but if it never makes it out of these walls, we failed the mission. If the truth we learn here on Sundays when we gather together to get energized, to get recharged as a body, if it doesn't go outside the doors... We failed it. We missed it. What was the point? And so one of the things I'm really excited that we're going to do in August is we're going to have our, our second Give Life Day. 
If you weren't around for Give Life Day last year, it was an amazing day. Man, across the city of Pearl in just one day, we were in about 17 different locations. We had people in laundromats. We had people going to fire stations, police stations, city officials. We had a car wash. Uh, there were some people doing construction out at a camp. Man, there was stuff happening everywhere throughout the city of Pearl, so much so that there was one guy who went to wash his clothes, and we were there, and then he went to Kroger, and we were there, and then he went, and he saw there was this free car wash, and dang, it's those change people again. Man, we infiltrated the city in a way that we really don't get a chance to do any other day of the year, and so I hope that you will choose to be a part of Give Life Day this year. It's going to be on August 24th. That's a Saturday, and August 24th, go ahead. There is nothing more important going on that day, I promise you. Hopefully. There's nothing more important going on that day. And what I want you guys to do is I want you to take out your phone. For real, like some of you are like, no, he doesn't mean it. Like, for real, take your phone out. And you put it back up in a minute, but you can take your phone out. And I want you to text the number 601-397-6111. And text the word serve. That just lets us know that you are planning to come. That lets us know that you want to impact the city of Pearl in a way that we don't get a chance to any other time of the year. It's a chance to go outside of these walls and reach people that never come inside these walls. So we go, man. We go. Whether we go to the other side of the world or we go just up the street, we go. Eugene Peterson wrote about it in his book, Leap Over a Wall. He said, a lot of times we think about our workplace as like it's in opposition to our command to go. No, that is the exact place you're probably called to go. It's right there with those people you interact with every single day. Jesus wants us to go to the people that we are already going to. Because at the end of the day, the people who stand up here, they're awesome, and I love these people, and I include myself in this group, but, like, we're not the influencers. It's you guys in the chairs. You're the ones who reach people. See, it's those ordinary teachers, man, administrators, construction workers, plumbers, uh, car rental people, people who work at the Bounce Palace, whatever you do, you're the influencer. It's ordinary people just having conversation with other ordinary people about Jesus. Right wherever we're already going. Don't change your routine. Go where you were going to go tomorrow anyway. Just go there and tell people about Jesus. So we go to make disciples. We also go to all nations to make disciples. Now, this statement of make a disciple of all nations, man, it is a very, very clear statement that we go to people who aren't like us. You know, as a general rule, we like people who are like us because we've got things in common and things we can relate over. Now, there's nothing wrong about that. I mean, find people you have similar interests in, be friends, tell those people about Jesus. But if those are the only kind of people you are ever going to, you are missing people that you were walking past every single day. You are probably missing people you're working with. You might even be missing somebody who lives in your house. 
because you just have that much not in common with your kid. God calls us to go to all people, and so we go to all of them, even if they're not from our country, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't talk like us, even if they don't make as much money as we make, or they make way more money than we make, we go to them. You know, I love the way 2 Corinthians 5 words this out of the message. It says, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it wrong. AKA, we thought Jesus was crazy. Turns out we were wrong. Now we look inside. We see that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. They're created new. The old life is gone. A new life blossoms. Man, some of you guys are literally wearing that shirt right now. Old life made new in Jesus. It doesn't matter what they look like because Jesus looks at us and goes, I value each one of those souls. Jesus, by that statement of I go to all the nations, he is looking at us to say, I value every single person on the whole entire planet. Whether you like them or not, Jesus values them. And he calls us to go to them, to make a disciple of them. So in order to follow the command that Jesus has given us, we've got to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to lean in and have conversations with people we don't understand to ask them, hey, help me understand who you are. Help me, help me get your perspective on life. Because like, we just have, we see things differently and I want to understand why you see it the way you see it. Does that mean you're going to agree with them? Probably not. But man, you can still find common ground. So we go, we make a disciple of all the nations Jesus tells us to baptize people. So what I want you to start doing is if you're near a pool, you Spartan kick people into it. Not quite. Actually, here, for real. What I want you to do is anytime you're in Jackson, you stop by the potholes and you don't. No. All right. Carry a bottle of water. and uh, No. Jesus probably didn't mean I want you to baptize every single person that you meet. Like, you can spit on them or you can pour some water on them. You just baptize. That's not... That's not really where Jesus is going here. Really what he's calling us to do in this moment is to live our lives in such a way that we are continually pointing to him. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that every time we do anything, it's pointing towards him. Man, when we're in Kroger and you got five things that you got to get and so the buggy's full now because you just needed the five things um, and you run into somebody else's buggy and you're like, oh gosh, it's Tom. I hadn't seen Tom in like 10 years. Man, Tom, how you been? And you just talk to Tom for a minute and you do it in such a way that you point him to Jesus. Man, you're in, you're in the car, somebody cuts you off and you got that instinct to call him number one. Don't. You, uh, you just wave at him. You live like Jesus would, man. You're at the house, and you got the kid that you're just ready to throw out. Like, literally, you're done. You have, you have reached the limit of limits. You've been battling this battle for years. Show them grace instead. Show them the love of Jesus instead. 
Because here's, here's the thing I love about a baptism Sunday. And it's an awesome moment when somebody gets dunked under and they come up and we hoop and holler and it's a big celebration. I love that moment. It's great. But my favorite part of a baptism Sunday is people's stories. And I love listening to people share their stories of an old life made new. Because their stories start like this. I was going to get my trash can and my neighbor just happened to be out there and we started a conversation. He invited me to the exchange. And then he walked with me as I started to experience what it was to really live in Jesus. It's that story of a student who, who reached over to a classmate that was definitely hurting, like it was clearly hurting. And that student said, hey, just come hang out at my church with me, man. We'll, uh, we'll have, play some fun games. We'll, we'll do some fun stuff. It'll be great. And they get there and it turns out, oops, we tricked you. We do fun stuff and talk about Jesus. And it turns out they needed the Jesus part more. That story of a dad who had this rebellious son that, man, he was so outdone with him. He was so outdone. And it feels like it's been a lifetime of just doing the exact opposite. But, man, when my life broke, I remembered all those times that my dad had told me about Jesus. I remember all those times that he showed me grace when I didn't deserve it. And because my life broke, I knew where I needed to run, and it was to Jesus. See, it's it's not stories of people from the stage. I've never heard one of our stories start like this. You know, I sat down with the lead pastor, and we had a very deep theological discussion about the Trinity. And as he laid out why the Trinity definitely makes sense, I came to understand the triune God, and in that moment, became a believer. I have yet to hear that story, guys. It's always the story of ordinary people just going where they were already going, but pointing people to Jesus while they do it. This last one that Jesus kind of lays out, we get it confused. We get this one confused a lot, honestly, because he tells us to teach people to observe everything he commanded. And you hear that one and you're like, all right, I'm for sure this one is the people on the stage. Finally, we got to their part. Wrong. Jesus didn't just tell specific people in the church to teach. He told all of us. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, but I, I don't have a theological degree. I've never really had much religious education. Like, I barely know the Bible as it is. Like, I don't even know where Second Hezekiah is. There's no second Hezekiah, guys. Keep up. Like You're laying out these excuses as to why you can't be the one to teach people. But like, here's the deal. Our staff team, very few of us have any religious education background. Our life group leaders, I'd be willing to bet maybe one of them, if that many, has a religious degree. It's not about having a religious education degree. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be able to walk people through the Trinity. You don't have to know all the perfect steps to the Romans road. Like, here's how you teach people about Jesus. You look at them and go, you want to know what Jesus did for me? 
man, let me tell you about the brokenness that I was in and how Jesus brought me out of that. And this is what it looks like for me to believe. I just, I trust that he's dealing with my sin and I surrender to his will. Like, that's what it looks like. And that's what it looks like for you to teach somebody about Jesus. You don't have to know all the right answers. You just have to be willing to speak the truth. You just have to be willing to tell them what you know. Because at the end of the day, when he said teach, he was talking to you too. He was talking to you to tell other people about Jesus. So Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, let me remind you that I'm in charge of all this. Because I'm about to give you a command and it's going to be difficult. And he says, I want you to make disciples and here's how you do it. And then he follows it with a statement. He says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus looks at the church and he goes, I know I just gave you a hard command, but I am with you. Jesus promises to be with us always. And you know why he promised to be with us always? Like I, I figured it out. It's because he already knew what we were going to do. See, as I've been talking about these people that you work with, the people in your house, the people at school, like you've thought about somebody. You have. Somebody has crossed your mind this morning. And you're like, I know I need to be talking to them about Jesus more. But, and you filled in the blank with your excuse. But I don't really, I don't know all the right answers. Like, he's got a tough question, and I don't know how to answer it. You know, I'm afraid that when I talk, I just won't say the right words. It'll come out stupid. I'll say something wrong, and he'll never believe in Jesus because I said something so dumb. Like, I just, I don't want to mess it up. Like, I, I just don't know what to say to a man. Remember back at the beginning, we talked about this guy with authority over everything? The one who makes the earth spin? The one who spoke everything into existence? That guy? He looked at us and he said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And my spirit is going to be with you constantly. He is never, ever, 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 ever going to leave you. You can't look at me and go, I've got an excuse as to why I can't tell them. Because you can't convince me that the one that is in charge of everything can't trump your excuse. That he can't overcome it. That he can't fulfill it despite you. Jesus is with us always. Like, I want you to really Think about Jesus for a minute. Like, comprehend what Jesus did for a second. Like, Jesus has been in heaven since forever. That's a whole other talk. But he has been there forever, literally. And for this whole time, man, there's been these angels around him. And for 24-7, they just say the one thing. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And then they say it again, and then they say it again, and again, and again, and again. And for 24-7, you know what Jesus does? He gets worshipped by angels who worship him at a capacity that, frankly, we, we just are not capable of. We got too much other things on our mind to worship Jesus like they do. And so Jesus is just sitting there getting worshipped constantly. And God the Father looks at God the Son, Jesus, and he goes, Son, I need you to go down to earth. I need you to go down there. I need you to live among them. I need you to face their temptations. And I need you to overcome them. And then, son, I need you to do something that's going to hurt. Boy, is it going to hurt. And if I'm Jesus, guys, I laugh at you. <laughs> no, I'm good. These people are worshiping me constantly. That's not how he responds. Instead, Jesus goes, all right, let's do this. And he comes down to earth. Man, he lives where people don't even recognize who he is. There aren't people worshiping him constantly. At best, somebody recognizes him for a minute, and they're like, I think he might be. And they're like, eh, I don't know. And they go back about their life. Nobody's worshiping him constantly. He's facing temptation after temptation, the same exact ones you faced. And he's going, no, no, no. He overcomes them all. You know what he does with that overcoming spirit? He willingly hops up on a cross. And he goes, I'm going to give this overcoming spirit to them. I'm going to take their place. I'm going to take their sin, and I'm going to take their punishment, and I'm going to overcome it. And so he dies. And yeah, sure, he gets to raise from the dead, and that's awesome, and we love that part of the story too. But guys, never, ever, ever, ever forget that God literally died. You know why he did that? Because he values you. You and you and you and you and all the ones in between. Jesus looks at you and sees value. Jesus looks at you, and he loves you. Man, when we really, we really grasp the way he cares about us, if we really grasp and understand the extent that he went to for us, we can't help but go make disciples. Man, Jeremiah talks about it like this. He says, I, and this is theoretical, he says, I'm not going to mention him. I'm not going to talk about God. I won't speak about him any longer. But, but his message, this message about God, it becomes this fire burning in my soul. It's, it's built up in my bones, and I get tired of trying to hold it in, and I can't prevail over it. Man, his message, his truth just comes out of me, and I hope. That is the fire you feel when you think about Jesus. This fire that when you go, ah, it's just not right. It's not the right moment or, you know, this conversation would be awkward if we talked about it. Like, I hope there's such a fire for understanding what Jesus done for you and how much he values you that you literally cannot hold it in. That it just has to come out of you, man. Jesus, in his authority, he looked at his disciples and he gave them a command to make disciples. And he promised that he was going to be with them 
every single step of the way. That he would never leave them alone. And that promise is to you too, believer. He is right there with you, enabling you to carry the gospel to people. In Rankin County, roughly 150,000 people. And give or take, about 105,000 of them are not connected to a church. It means roughly 105,000 people in just our one little county don't know Jesus. You can't expect a couple of people that stand on this stage to reach all 105,000 of them. It takes every single one of us as the church going to be the church outside of these walls. How about this number? Just in the city of Pearl, there's roughly 26,000 people. And roughly 18,000 of them are not connected to church, which tells me they are not connected to Jesus. They have never experienced an old life made new. They don't know what it is to be in Jesus. But man, we had that command, that opportunity to go as a body. Not as a handful of people, but man, an entire body where hundreds of people are a part of to go out and infiltrate that city. To go out and infiltrate this county. To reach people with the gospel. So church today, the response is simple. The response is so simple. We make disciples. Don't change your weekly routine. Unless God specifically tells you to change it up, go to work just like normal. Take care of the kids just like normal. And go to class and learn just like normal. But every single moment that you even feel like there's an opportunity, I want you to lean in and I want you to ask a question. Man, this is a good starter. If you can't think of one, just ask them, hey, where have you been going to church lately? Because you know what most of them are going to tell you? You're going to say something along the lines of, we go to first whatever, you know, occasionally when we can make it. We had not been a lot lately because the kids, they got ball. And they got ball and, you know, it happens Saturday and Sunday. It's not like it used to be. It happens on Sunday some too. And so, you know, we paid to be a part of it. So we're going to go do the ball thing. Man, my wife, she just hadn't been feeling good lately. And we just, between taking care of her and taking care of the kids, I just, I can't make it. I just, we, we don't have the time. And we've been planning the wedding. We've been remodeling the house. We've been moving. Man, my mom's not doing well. My dad's a little sick. My kids, man, I just, I can't get them ready for church. Like it takes the, it's an act of Congress to get them out of the bed and dressed on the weekend. And you're going to look at them and you go, man, I'm sorry you got so much going on in life. There are times where life is just crazy busy. I get that. But hey, I just want you to know like, I've been plugging into a church. More importantly, I've been plugging in with Jesus. And man, things in my life have changed. Man, God has changed my life. And here's how he did it. And here's the things he fixed in my life. Here's, here's the way I now feel satisfaction in him and not in my efforts to do something good. Like, I, don't, I don't feel that weight of having to live up to whatever. I just... 
I'm just satisfied in who he is and what he values me as. And man, I want you to know that, that Jesus loves you too. Man, Jesus values your soul. And maybe if you take an hour, hour and a half, I know it's hard to get an hour and a half out of the week. Man, find that hour and a half on a Sunday. Go plug in with a church. And I'm telling you, it's going to change your world. I need a theological degree to have that conversation. I just needed the willingness to follow Jesus' command. But for some of us, maybe, maybe making disciples not quite there yet. Because the issue is, you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for, for surrendering. <laughs> I hope you've heard today that no matter what it is that's in your life, no matter what that thing has been, that He values you. There's nothing in you that is so broken that Jesus doesn't still love you and can fix it. He is concerned for you. He cares about you. He values you. So, all you got to do today is go, Jesus, I hear you're what fixes brokenness. So I want to give it a shot. I want to try surrendering to you. I just want to... I, I, I'm supposed to put you in charge, and I'm probably going to mess that up some, but Jesus, I just want to try letting you lead my life and let me find my satisfaction in you instead of everything else. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.